welcome to Filed. Filed is a monthly conversation about the convergence of data privacy, data security, data regulations, records, and governance. I'm Anthony Woodward, who's the CEO of RecordPoint. And with me today, I have my Filed co-host, Chris Brown. Chris is the VP of products here at RecordPoint. Um, today, Chris, we put together a, a pretty interesting topic around um, blockchain. It's something that's come up with a lot of discussions with customers and partners. And I know you and I have been having having a real discourse around it. I know recently both of us came across an article um, that's been out on the internet for a little bit by the crew out at Deep Analysis, um, really writing around blockchain and some of the usage of blockchain. What are you seeing out there? Yeah, look, it's interesting. Obviously, tied to blockchain generally is all about crypto, but this article was positing that, you know, can this be the next generational change or the next big thing as it relates to records? I'm actually interested to understand that in the sense that what additional value is it giving over and above what we already do? It's 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 an interesting space as it, as it relates to using that technology that is blockchain, you know, a, a distributed database, it's transparent, it's verifiable. Is it worth the Sorry, audience but... potentially um, even defining that? You know, the, you know, you and I were having this debate as well around what actually is blockchain before we even talk about the context of record keeping. Yeah. You know, as you say, this this decentralized distributed ledger across a whole bunch of different servers and then debating, well, well what is the providence? You know, how does that prove the digital asset? You know, the great thing about a blockchain is it's storing that cryptographic hash as a data reference check, but it doesn't actually have the record in it, right? It just has the signature that's associated with the record in that cryptographic hash. So, you know, does that that come together? Yeah, and I think you're making the point there that, that at the end of the day, what does that actually give the organisation, the citizen, the resident as it relates to more immutability? The the, the idea as a, as a cryptocurrency that I can know that a transaction occurred is, is important and I can verify it and I know how much that I have in terms of maybe a Bitcoin or something along those lines. But the act of I have a record, I have a, a land title is a good example, right? Like something that you might want to verify if you were buying. It's like, well, is this the land title that I'm buying? Is it verified that this is the owner? But in actual fact, if there's a single entity that I can only collect those land titles and verify from anyway, and it's a, a government regulatory agency, do I necessarily need to then add on top of that blockchain? Is it giving me any additional value as a consumer, a property buyer, for example? That's the interesting piece. Like, Why would I want to independently verify a land title outside of a purchase? I mean, I think those applications make sense for the blockchain for keeping information that you're talking about in these very structured transactional things. So, you know, civil certification, things like birth certificates, marriage certificates, death certificates that, that need to be referenced in some way. And look, those things today generally have some sort of number on them that can be validated. The change is another way of storing that validation and creating immutability for that certificate. But that's a very particular type of record, right? It is is that certificate rate and maybe it goes further and applies to you know your university degree the educational institution issuing that certificate but it's those kind of scenarios where the blockchain is kind of in use at the moment i think there's a great case study that we can we can add as a, a reference into this edition of filed you know from pwc around what estonia has been doing around how they're using the blockchain for civil certification 
But when it comes to true records, I think that's only a very small amount of the corpus a traditional organization would have. That's kind of that piece where there's a lot of hype around, oh, well, blockchain's going to be the next big thing in, in the, the record space. But we're really talking about very specific use cases there. I, I love the idea of I can have a blockchain verifiable version of my university degree and therefore I could you know, share it with any potential employer, potential um, speaking event or others just to prove the validity of my claim. However, that starts with the immutability of the source. So for those who are in that chain, you would have to trust that the university is constantly producing certificates that are valid and they need to be able to prove those. And I think that comes back to that piece that we were talking about with, with every record. Is that really necessary? A, rec- a traditional record system today in a court of law effectively acts as the diary, if you will, for for that record, providing that provenance. This is when we captured it. These are the times that we made these changes. This system can prove that that particular version of the record has not been changed over that period. And if I represent that in a court of law, am I adding any additional value to that by saying, oh, and here is its proof in the blockchain that we have those records? Because ultimately, you still need to believe that I, when I put it into the blockchain, put that document in its original state into that certified state. The proof is no more or no less. To take the counterpoint argument to some extent, because the chain is distributed, you can have a higher trust in the proof because the proof doesn't just live in one place. Therefore, it can can be validated across those different places. The issue, though, is now that you've stored that in an encrypted form in many places, the data is now in many places. So, you know, one of the core tenets of record keeping is that we try to keep copies to a minimum because the more copies there are, the harder it is to manage that that object, at least as the record in inverted commas. I don't know if you've seen in your conversations with people, it becomes a quite a, a difficult conversation when you start to talk about providence of a thing that is striped across many servers and where therefore the record is at a point in time on the chain across these different encrypted endpoints. I think that it's interesting, and the article pointed it out, that you know everybody had their own opinion, depending on where they sit. Right. If, if they're sitting in IT, potentially like, well, you know, th- then our data is leaving our network. And yes, it's encrypted, but there is still the potential for a hack at the end of the day. Is it safer on the chain encrypted with a key than, say, in my own environment re- encrypted at, at rest? You know, there's a firewall between me and, and that environment. The destruction and disposal, how do you guarantee across that chain that the file and the hash isn't able to be discovered elsewhere upon you know, reaching the end of its life cycle, for example, it might be a really, really interesting piece. And I'm sure you, know, you can um, destroy the hash and therefore you could destroy the, the opposite key. And there's all, all of those technological pieces that might actually actively destroy it in place or time bomb it per se. But I think that if I'm a customer and I'm worried about records, am I the first thing they talk about us today already is is that security and where is that information, who's moving it, who's got access. And while, yes, it's encrypted at rest, it's like, well, but who, how do I know that that still can't be gathered and, and, and taken away? So if something lived across a peer-to-peer environment forever, how do we guarantee that it's been destroyed and no longer discoverable is, is probably the, the big one that comes up. Yeah, it's a great point. You know, the 
it's all very well for it to be highly immutable and not, therefore not changeable. But if it's not removable in terms of that immutableness, that becomes a, a barrier to, to the use. One of the things that people talk about, I think it, it again was in that paper, was around the ability for the chain to, in effect, handle the tracking of, of providence. So, you know, who did what, when, and those processes, which obviously helps in the different scenarios of protecting data and, and managing the access to data. But again, the problem then in the chain is the speed at which it can do it. You know, one of the things I know we were discussing is the speed of the blockchain. It's not very fast, is it? No, it isn't. And and there's already a number of trials, you know, especially as it looks to like the, the food chain and, for example, um, you know, diamonds coming from conflict zones. And if you start to think about, well, it's still distributed computing, it's still peer-to-peer networks, someone's still got to be paying for this and it's not owned by one individual their need to process this at a pace versus your need. Who, how do you pay for it? How do you ensure that scalability is, is a real interesting thing? As I said, blockchain processing is you know quite slow, but imagine if every single transaction globally, you know, like we have, for example, for Visa and MasterCard, all of a sudden had to use that same process. We you know we grind to a halt. So it's almost, uh, you know, we're both EV owners and it's a little bit of the argument around, well, what happens when all of us have electric cars and the gas stations, you know, have only got five charges and it's effectively the same argument is that, you know, the technology itself probably isn't ready for even a, a large organisation's ability to say every transaction, every single change, every single document and then distributed globally. When you start to think about the explosion of that and the technology and the standards that sit behind it, it really brings in some concerns around privacy, right? Because one of the things around privacy is the designation of ownership. So who owns my identity and who owns the use of that identity transitions over time. But if that is not reflected in the blockchain, even though at the time I gave someone the key to use my identity or use something associated with what is a personally identifiable piece of information, how that then gets scrubbed or is processed as a technology standard. Now, these are no doubt solvable things in the future is not currently truly solved. So how therefore do you have privacy control and understanding some of those privacy dilemmas within the design of that blockchain and using the current technology we have has some real limitations today. Possibly something solved in the future, but not solved today. No, and I think one of the other ones there is literally that human element, the public trust. So, okay, let's imagine we solve those problems, as you've just mentioned. I have the ability to scrub. If I'm now supporting multiple ways to do this, you know, who, at what point in time does all of the organisation or all of the customer base or all of the citizenship trust in so i know in the estonia case you know it's they were effectively the government said you know this is how we're going to do it now and they were all able to come on that one way but if you're going to support both what advantage are you providing because ultimately there's still a separate way to collect this information which isn't on the blockchain and yes they could duplicate that effort while they're doing it so that you know they can perform the act of the customer or perform the act of that untrusted entity. But again, if I, if I have to, as an organisation, keep it both ways, I'll probably just stick with the one that everybody already trusts. So there is that element of how do you, how do you make that leap of faith almost from, you know, I'm happy that 
this solution has my private data and I am comfortable that from here on in I will always transition. I remember, and it, you know, it's mostly irrelevant, but but it makes the point of the, the trust element of the Australia card, if you will, right? The, that 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 one citizen card that would be that would rule them all. It would be the ability for us to sort of identify ourselves universally across any government agency. Um, Chris is really showing his age here. <laughs> wow, I, I, I don't know what you speak of. This Australia card is that in the eighties? <laughs> but it was a wholesale pushback because it's like, well, no, no, I don't trust that. And unless we all do it, there was a very little advantage for the effort to be put in to support it. And rightly so, lots of concerns and, you know, no blockchain to support that data at the time. It would have, data would have been kept, you know, who, who knows how, but that public trust element is, is a real key to the implementation of a technology like this, where data goes beyond the limit of things that I can control. Now, I think there are some pros when we talk about the blockchain in this context. The one thing it's very good at is creating a series of transactions that prove the evidence trail. So if we really want to look at accuracy, reliability, and authenticity, the blockchain is very good at that. However, for the amount of compute and the other processes that, that, that are required for the blockchain to run, there are other technologies that can do that, aren't there? Yeah, look, ultimately... The same technology that blockchain's built on, that you know, public-private key pair, ultimately allows me to sign a document with another trusted entity and hand you that key to to verify that you know at a point in time that that happened. And it, the record systems that are in place today will have those audit trails. There are there are lots and lots of yeah, you know, not even highly technical solutions to these problems today that don't require the cost and the compute, the distributed nature, the the networking, always online nature of these things that allow us to, you know, to verify. And, and you know, some are as rudimentary as some of the things that are on our, you know, cash today, be it, you know, security markings or, you know, particular coloured threads or inks. There's lots of other technologies that ensure the verifiability without needing to go to the blockchain. You know, do you envisage the reality of the blockchain becoming a convergence of these technologies? Like, where, where would you see this going in the future? Is it, you know, I mean, I know we're seeing the blockchain here as, as something that, you know, certainly what I see is it's a fairly immature set of technologies that has some interesting solutions to problems that are solved in different ways already. And some of those problems still come through with the blockchain. But what's your view on the evolution of it? Where, where does it go and, and how does it evolve to simplify some of these problems and become more integrated? If you eliminate trust, if you eliminate compute, if you eliminate some of the other technological points that we've said and imagine that those problems are solved in the future, a universal, simple way to verify anything um, has huge benefits to society in every transaction, be it public records, the purchase and sale of a vehicle, the the act of showing your age at a door at a nightclub versus, you know, the proving that you're married or you know, the, all of these other things, if there was a universal way to do that, there are economical benefits for the globe. So 
use the simple example that I've put in there, which is the nightclub industry. Many, many jurisdictions have an age limit. Talking about the eighties again. Is that are we talking about the eighties? I will half back to my days as a DJ. (laughs) But if you, but again, if you think about it, even more recently, every jurisdiction has an age limit or or some other entry criteria for participation in drinking of alcohol. Obviously, a you know legalized drug in its own right, but. In the States, it's 21. In Australia, it's 18 because, you know, we, we love a beer. And uh, nightclubs have to verify that people coming in the door are of age. And you've done that through driver's licences, which, you know, once upon a time you used to be able to peel them away and slide your own photo in or to print it. You know, look at you being old, innocent. Like that's never, ever, ever. You've never seen one of those before in your life. But, you know, at a nightclub, we would see hundreds of them a night. Student cards, I would never, never. Student card, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, obviously the technology improved and we had the plastic cards that are printed on. But, you know, you can buy one of those printers relatively cheaply and buy a bunch of blanks. And I'm sure if you really, really wanted to, you could find a way to, to, to accrue those. So it's imagine having a technology that would allow you to verify that uniquely and cheaply and universally. In Queensland, we we have a program that does that, you know, but the clubs, in order to participate, have to buy certain equipment and then if the legislation was to change, that equipment becomes redundant. Now, that's economically not great. And so, as I said earlier, a universal way that was cheap and easy to verify and all of those other problems went away around scale and public trust and, and whatever else. And there's an economic benefit there. I, th- I think the technology has merit However, while it remains niche and while it remains um, proprietary in a way, like if you even if you look at the crypto environment, there's thousands of different cryptocurrencies. Obviously, there's some very strong ones, but for the most part, there's a handful of those that um, that are you know, traded and you know, are, are viable, if you will. The rest are almost Ponzi schemes. Sorry for those of you who invested heavily in Dogecoin or something along those lines, but. You know, if you're the one who started the crypto and you can get it spoken about and it can go up a factor of 10 or 20x overnight, you're the one who's making the money. It's it's almost uh, that proprietary nature of it makes it rife for that sort of problem. I think it needs to become universal. I think it needs to be an acceptable standard for all. And then all of the technological changes that would come with that if you were going to have, you know, there can, you know Highlander theory, there can only be one. The problem then becomes who owns the chain, which is mm-hmm. one element, but then also who owns the longevity of the content in the chain? Because, you know, in record keeping, we have a few things going on. We have to think about the stuff that needs to be gotten rid of, but also stuff that has to be kept permanently. And again, that may not be the sort of more certificate records, if I can call it that. They can be different ways to represent different pieces of data. So. The chain itself is going to have this long lifespan. Um, are you seeing any approaches to dealing with long-term preservation on the chain so that it can be read in 400 years' time, that we can think about the interchange of content? I certainly haven't come across any that, that provide that. No, it's an interesting problem, isn't it? And it's it's almost that, that it gets lost in storage is cheap. Like it's that misnomer that oh, well, it's it's just a little bit of information that, 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 that has all of this magic in it. But when you start to talk about the volumes of transactions that would need to be required to provide the outcomes that we're already dealing with and then centralising, duplicating and distributing it so very broadly and widely, as you say, who owns it but also who's willing to pay for it. Hmm. 
Like if, you know, why, why would I pay to verify my ID when I already have a piece of paper from the government that verifies my ID? That will probably be the, the kicker. How, how do I gain benefit and how do I pay for that? And is it globally governments seem to come together? Public trust on that's probably not going to be particularly great. Um, and, you know, the globe, we're, we're still, you know, well, we have the United Nations and we're still not entirely together on a lot of things. Um, yeah, the technological challenges, I think, are simple. The big one may be cost. And that really does come back to, you know, if it's going to be the history, it has to be kept. A, a lot of, lot of data yeah. will need to be kept for very long periods of time. And someone's going to pay for that. So one of the underlying principles of blockchain is the notion of decentralization and, you know, stepping away from blockchain technologies to, to a limited extent. Are, are you across the Tim Berners-Lee's um, solid project and the um, what he would describe as Web 3.0 in a counterpoint to the kind of blockchain Web 3.0? I've only read a little, but I'd be interested to understand what you've seen there because I know you've spent a little bit more time having a look at it. Well, I don't think it's interesting, and I think it's a, a, a real counterpoint to the blockchain notion of decentralization is it's decentralized data, but it's completely under the user's control. So what it says is that the token is placed into the system that access the data, uh, but the data is controlled within your own gates, if you will. So so basically, you own all of your data. Um, so all, all of Chris's data is owned by Chris, all of... Mastercard's data is owned by Mastercard, and all of Anthony's data is owned by Anthony. M. Whilst you know Mastercard may issue a you and me both a, a Mastercard, the transactions that are on that card that's issued by Mastercard. So Mastercard passes me a, a token. That's my token. I go out and use it. The transactions on that Mastercard belong to me, but I share that with Mastercard so that they can bill me for it. And the bill belongs with Mastercard, if that makes sense. You know, blockchain at the end of the day is sequence, sequence, sequence across a distributed chain that's on many computers. This reverses the paradigm where it's not about the sequencing so much. It's about the data ownership. And what I think is super interesting about what Tim Berners-Lee has done is then change the problem, which I think is a different, certainly is a problem within blockchain. Um, he's, he's brought on other problems with, with the approach, but he's changed the paradigm to say that data is always owned by someone. If that entity gets to control that data, they can control that in a decentralized form and then share the data across the internet. So it's a it's really turning that notion of record keeping on its head because it it turns record keeping back to the ownership problem in terms of if I own it, if I wrote it, I own it. If I did it, I own it. And therefore, I can control who's going to have access to it. But it also comes to the issue then of authenticity um, that wraps around it and authentication, a whole bunch of issues. And I'll, you know, I'll send those that want to go look at it to solid.mit.edu um, and they can read more about that project. But the I think it's a really interesting concept that is a different way to do distributed data. Yeah, and I, by the sounds of that, it certainly gives that ability to sort of be more applicable to... You know, the record keeping world because you've got that data ownership like this and it really you know, it, it sort of provides that data trust element as well look i think we've kind of and this is anything you want to add to blockchain i think we had a, a really interesting conversation there that looked at the different implications of blockchain and and whilst i know you know was something i'm going to keep looking at and i know you are as well chris um, is there anything else you want to add to the blockchain conversation no, look, I think it was a great conversation and certainly this is going to be one of those ones that comes up, you're going to see it at events, you're going to hear it talked about. It's a watch this space type conversation. I'm not sure 
that it's ready for prime time. If this was the hype cycle, it's still very much maybe in that that hype cycle phase, you know, the hype phase. It's definitely not in a trough of disillusionment yet, but it will probably get there at some point. But there are issues and they're starting to be seen. And so there's got to be solves to those problems before we come out of that. And that's, I would imagine, that, you know, on top of public trust and some of these other storage and cost issues that, you know, you might see something from organisations outside of that, niche nature. And I still think there's definitely some examples where it could be used for some very, very niche use cases. As I said, the university one, I think, is, is, a, is a great example. But yeah, no, I think that it's, it's not ready for prime time today. For, for all the use cases, I think, as you say, there are other use cases out there. You know, I think one of the biggest problems that you see with a lot of the proponents of blockchain is sometimes there's a bit of a solution looking for a problem. In terms of that maturity of it, it's not quite there yet for, for all those different use cases. Look, um, this has been a really interesting conversation around blockchain. And I, I you know, thank you, for Chris, for, for making some time to, to have this conversation today. Thank you all for listening. Um, I'm Anthony Woodward. Please remember to follow us on social media. Um, here at Record Point, there's a Twitter account, a LinkedIn account, there's an account for all the different socials. Grab us there, subscribe, please share this podcast with your friends. And if you get the chance in your favorite podcast app, please give us a rating. It's going to help us get out to, to more of the world. Chris, thank you very much. Yeah, no, thanks, Anthony. And look at I'm Chris Brown, everybody. We'll see you next time on Filed. <laughs>